Uh, as Josh said, my name's Matt. Uh, I'm one of the pastors at Gospel Hope in Riverton, uh, just about 15 minutes from here. I actually get a little bit of nostalgia driving back this way because when we first moved to the valley uh, about six years ago now, we lived in the apartments at Rock Ledge at Quarry Bend, right around the corner from here. And we used to take a little back route out to uh, Union Park, and we would drive by this space all the time. And so this is a, a part of the valley that we spent uh, about a year and a half in. And it is funny how as you move neighborhoods, you kind of plant in your new place and, and you forget your old one a little bit. Uh, but being back over here was really cool. Um, and uh, it's been really, really fun over the last couple months to get to know uh, Josh and Wes and Chris a little bit. And even more fun just to get to meet a lot of you today and uh, see your joy, see your energy, see the kids running up and down the aisles. Uh, one of them was my son. So I was like, okay, that works. And uh, no, 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 don't run into that person. No, no, stop over there. But um, it's just been, been really good. As Josh said, uh, God has led us uh, after Colleen and I got married, kind of west, west, and west. Uh, my wife grew up in the Midwest, so our first stop was Indiana, about three or four hours from where she grew up. And then um, the big move for us was actually end of 2011, we moved to Steamboat Springs, Colorado, uh, which is not a terrible place to live. It's beautiful and uh, skiing, hiking, biking, all the outdoor stuff. It is a little bit of an island um, in a real way, far from everything. So, uh, but that was a really good step for us, and we fell in love with the West. Uh, I grew up in New England, and I tell people the West is New England bigger and better. And uh, minus the seafood. The seafood here is terrible. It's really good out there. Um, but, but we enjoy being out West. Uh, actually, when we were moving to Colorado, I told Colleen we need to get a new email, and she selected... Uh, wisely, the email parkersgowest at gmail.com. So that's our family email. If you don't remember anything else, you might remember that. Um, but uh, it's just a joy to serve. And, and we, we weren't sure we could have kids, but uh, 12 years into marriage, God gave us Tim, and he's truly been a joy to our lives. Uh, he makes everything fun and exciting and keeps us on our toes. And we, we love him a ton. So we'd love to meet you today and uh, get to know you a little bit. Unfortunately, um, you know, we know that Paul had some sort of uh, limiting um, hindrance to his ministry. Mine is remembering names. So I will say hi, I'll ask your name, 30 seconds later I'll ask for it again, and I still might forget. Um, but it is a joy to be here and to, to get to open God's Word. Let's do that. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 13, the verses that were just read. We want to hear from God and, and bow our hearts before him this morning, don't we? Right? I mean, it's great to be able to think through a sermon and, and what should I say, but, but the person you want to hear from today is God himself. And let his words sink into your heart and change your life. We, we don't want to leave here smarter or just like, that was nice. I actually want to walk out these doors and have God be changing us. John 13 is one of the most well-known sections of God's Word, and the, the story that we have here is incredibly powerful, and, and somehow I got to preach, or get to preach the eight verses that really bring it all home, and so I hope that they'll, they'll uh, sink into you today. And I know we have some kids with us, don't we? We have seven to 12-year-olds in here. All right, guys, take out a piece of paper, grab something from your parents, write down a couple things you know, learn, write down something you don't understand, talk with your parents after, we're glad you're here. And, and I believe you don't have to just color your way through. You can actually learn something too, although it might require a little coloring. All right. John chapter 13. 
The stage is set for the verses we are going to look at in verses 1 through 4. So let's reread those, and then we'll come back to verse 12. The Bible says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew... Listen to all the phrases that are stacked up here. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, he was going home. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, his disciples. During supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, that he had come from God and was going back to God. Feel, can you feel the weight of all these things on Jesus right now? What happens? He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied it around his waist. And we know in the next few verses, he washes his disciples' feet. He runs into a little hang-up with Peter, which you guys talked about last week. And now he comes to the point where he wants to make sure they really understand. Do you see that in verse 12? When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he asked them a question. Don't miss this question. It's so easy in familiar stories to kind of put it on autopilot. And I know it's Labor Day weekend too. Maybe you have great plans for tomorrow. I get it. But listen to what Jesus has to say. He says this, ask this question. Do you understand what I have done to you? Could we make it even simpler? Do you get it? Have you ever said this to a small child? You've given them direction, right? You got like down on their level, you... You looked them right in the eye. <laughs> you gave them instructions. And then you said, do, you said it slowly too. Do you understand <laughs> what I just told you? Yes, dad. Could you please do it? <laughs> and I think for all of us this morning, Jesus is getting on our level. And he's saying, as I washed your feet... Do you understand what just happened? You know, pictures are powerful, aren't they? Even priceless. I'll date myself a little bit, but there was a season of life where I enjoyed watching Antiques Roadshow. And I kind of knew at about like the 50-minute mark of the show that something big was going to happen. It always ended with like somebody's amazing garage find. And oftentimes it was art. I grew up in New Hampshire, and uh, just this past week, a woman went into a thrift store, and this is actually a headline from the news, a thrift store shopper joked she'd found a famous artist's work for $4. She's digging through frames, she was actually looking for a frame, and she found this piece of artwork, and she was like, she joked that she'd found a famous uh, main painter original painting, and then the article says this, it turned out she really had and Bonhams is going to auction the piece of artwork. It's called Ramona by an artist named N.C. Wyeth from Maine. They're going to auction it off this September. They estimate that this little $4 thrift store find is going to sell for around $250,000. I know. Some of you are like, that's how I can buy a house in Utah. You're like, savers. I'm going to go savers, right? That's how I can catch up on my retirement is I'm going to go find some famous piece of artwork. But, but there, there's power in pictures, isn't there? They, they can even be priceless. 
And when we open to Jesus washing the disciples' feet, we actually have a priceless and powerful picture, don't we? And one that's totally unexpected with all the weight that's stacked up on him. But there's something Jesus wants us to learn. The other reality of artwork is that it's not really that valuable if you don't understand it. I've looked at Picasso. I don't get it. Right? Paint splatter on a page, cubism, all that stuff. But when you see it and know it and understand it has value. So that's what we want God to help us learn this morning. And, and really, the truth of the verses we just read is really simple. If you're taking notes, this is a big idea, and it's simple enough. Again, an eight-year-old can write it down. Jesus lived to serve, and so should we. Jesus lived to serve, and so should we. He, he woke up every morning not about his own plans or his own agenda, he woke up every morning not saying, how can I make myself happy today? How, how can I meet my own needs? How can I have a lot of great experiences and fun today? If we watch the years of Jesus' earthly ministry, he woke up every morning saying, God, what do you want me to do? I just do the Father's will. And then what do the people around me need? Teaching and preaching and healing and feeding and helping. Jesus lived to serve, and so should we. And what we see in these first four verses is simply this, followers of Jesus gladly serve him. Do you understand? Look at what the text says, verse 13. Look at what God's word says. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Followers of Jesus gladly serve him. And Jesus is the one who leads us in the way of serving, isn't he? He's the one who sets the example. He's the one who takes off the towel and washes feet. He's the one who says to the disciples when people are hungry, let's go find them some food. What do the disciples say? No time, no money, can't do. And Jesus goes, but these people need to be served. They've been listening all day to what I have to say to them. Let's go get them some food. Let's figure it out. It's Jesus who sticks around to the very last hour and the very last person who needs to be healed. It's Jesus who does that when he's sick and when he's tired and when life is hard, he leads us in serving. It's ironic to me how many people say they want to follow Jesus, but then want to live for themselves. And isn't that the tendency of all our hearts? Jesus leads us in the way of serving, even though he holds high positions. Did you see what he said? You call me master and Lord, and I am. He holds the position of authority, Lord. He holds the position of influence, teacher, in Jesus' day, a rabbi was highly respected. Many of them even walked around in big robes and sat in important places, but they were people of influence. Jesus is the one who we call Savior and what? Lord. He gets to call the shots, and that is true. But Jesus says, if I am your Lord and Master, I am also the one who has washed your feet. He holds high positions, but he gladly serves. 
Take your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. We won't turn a bunch of places today, but I think this one is so good we should go there. Philippians chapter 2 in your Bibles. I should have checked your chair Bibles, or I should have checked over there. I could have told you where to go. If you're just in one of those John uh, little inserts, it's okay. Just listen up. Philippians chapter 2 tells us this about Jesus and about ourselves. Verse 5. Have this mind, the Bible says, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, though he was God of very God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I wasn't trying to hold on to that. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus gladly serves. He shows it by washing the disciples' feet. He says it throughout his life, doesn't he? Mark chapter 10, or Mark chapter 10, and actually Matthew chapter 20. He says, Whoever would be first among you must be your servant, even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus shows it, he says it, and he lives it. The disciples are the ones who are like, you don't have time for that guy who's crying out on the side of the road. You're too busy for that. And what does Jesus do? He goes and heals Bartimaeus. The disciples are the ones who say, the little kids aren't worth your time and attention. And what does Jesus say? Bring the kids over here. He sits down, he tenderly talks to them, loves them, blesses them, cares for them. Jesus is the one who goes to the Samaritan woman, out of the way, disrespected, not part of society, Jesus lived service, and he lived it all the way to the cross, didn't he? He was obedient unto death. I, I, I barely know this church family. As happy as I am to be here, I don't know you. And that's an interesting place to preach from, right? I, I love preaching to people I know well. It, it's helpful, actually, in lots and lots of ways. And, and that's what a pastor shepherd does all the time, is he opens God's word to, to the sheep and the people he loves and cares for. And I don't know you that well, but I do know that what we see modeled in Jesus' life applies to all of us, regardless of where we are. But maybe you're in a place where you have yet to really bow before Jesus and recognize that you're a sinner who does things that are wrong and needs a Savior. And Jesus actually served you as he has served me by dying on the cross to pay for our sins. And that's as it is like the door into relationship with him. And so maybe you're here this morning, you have questions about that, you just dropped by, you figure what better thing to do on a Sunday morning on Labor Day weekend, you came through the doors. Can I just tell you something great today? Jesus served you as he served me. And the Bible tells us something incredible too about Jesus serving. And that's that he not only served in his life and in his death, but what's he doing right now? Hebrews 7 says Jesus has gone back to heaven and while he could be taking it easy, he could be retired, as it were, right? By the way, it's always funny. Retired people tell me they're busier retired than they were when they were working. It's hilarious. 
could have just sat back, relaxed. What does Hebrews 7 tell us Jesus is doing right now? Isn't this cool? Hebrews 7, I think it's verse 25, says, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. He's praying for us. You say, man, we're in a really challenging spot as a church. You are, but you're not. You're walking through a road that God has walked many churches through. He's sustained them. He's grown them. He's given new opportunities. He he doesn't make accidents. John 15 says that God the Father is the one who prunes and and, and adjusts and makes changes. But want to hear something that's most encouraging to me? Jesus is praying for you. Remember how he prayed for Peter? Satan is going to tempt you, but I pray that your faith doesn't fail. Jesus is serving. It's who he is. God didn't create this world because he needed company. He was, he was lonely. He, he needed people to validate him in some way. God didn't do that. But I do find it interesting that when God created the world, he actually opened a door for himself to serve. John, or, uh, Acts 17 says that God didn't, when God made the world, he didn't make it because he needed anything. He's the creator. But do you realize, and God never sleeps, but, but it's as if God wakes up every morning with an opportunity to send rain and, and care for things and serve the world that he made. And Jesus embodies that. Jesus lives, lives to serve. And now Jesus calls us to follow his example Back in John chapter 13, if you went to Philippians 2, you can go back there. If you're still there, we're coming back. John chapter 13. Jesus says, verse 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now he's talking to us, isn't he? Now he's talking to his disciples and he's saying, this picture that's burned into your minds of me washing your feet that made no sense to you, that seems so lowly and so separate from who you know me to be, that's what I want you to do. Jesus lived to serve. And it's not enough for us to say, isn't it great Jesus did that? He says to us, and so should you. A servant's not greater than his Lord. When I was in college, uh, actually grad school, I got the unexpected privilege of flying in a private plane. Has anybody ever flown in a private plane? Anybody here done that? Okay. He's like, I'm a little embarrassed to say it, but I did. (laughs) How was it? It is, yeah, not going to lie. If you get invited to do that, you should do that. Um, This was not under the best circumstances. It was actually because... Uh, a man at the church back in Indiana that I was connected to had died unexpectedly in a farming accident. And that man was on the board of the school that I went to. And so the president of the college was going to fly to his funeral and fly back to the school. And he actually invited five of us students who were part of that church family in some way to go with him. It's a cool experience. And he, so we got to ride out onto the tarmac, right? There's no security check-in. You just bring your stuff. And uh, it's funny because you leave at like 8 o'clock and you're on the plane at 8.30. It's cool. 
We got on the plane. We actually didn't need any luggage. It was just a day trip, which it still made my head spin a little bit that we started the day in South Carolina. We went to a funeral in Indiana that happened like 10, 11 o'clock, and we were back at 2 or 3 o'clock in South Carolina. It's a bizarre experience. But I'll never forget, we got on the plane, and it, there were five of us students plus the president of the college, you know, the guy who stood up in front. We all went, oh, you know, the president of the college, and the pilots. And the pilots radio back, and they said, hey, um, we have a full plane today. So in order to balance the plane, someone needs to sit in the bathroom on takeoff. And I'll never forget this. The president of the college, without missing a beat, goes, oh, no problem, I'll do that. And he gets up. He's probably a 70-year-old guy at that point. Walks to the back. Sits down on the toilet, I presume. I don't know what he did. <laughs> Sat down on the bathroom toilet, and we took off. And I just remember in that moment just being humbled that somebody of such stature, who as a student I looked up to, who I heard speak, who I revered, just went, yeah, sure, I'll serve in that way. Happy to do that. And what we have in Jesus is infinitely more than a college professor. And if Jesus is willing to wash feet, then what should be below us? What should we say? You know, I'm, I'm a deacon here now. I don't really do that anymore. Well, I, I'm one of the pastors. I'm the pastor's wife. There shouldn't be anything like that for us. But we should be happy to clean a bathroom. We should be happy to scrape gum off a floor. We should be happy, you know, to take a snotty-nosed kid wherever that kid needs to go, right? Because that's what Jesus did, and he tells us to do the same When we do that, it brings God glory. It meets the needs of others. And I'm always blown away by what verse 17 says. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Do you know what brings you joy? Isn't it the most bizarre thing? You get a phone call that somebody's moving and they need help on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock to load a truck. And for some reason, you say yes. And your, and your alarm goes off or your kids wake up and you're like, what am I doing? And you put on your stuff for the day and you go spend about an hour with some other people in your church family, two hours, four hours if not enough people show up. By the way, moving crews are always way better with too many people. So if you think you're not needed, come anyway, right? When we moved from Indiana, we had greatly shrunk our life to move to Colorado, and we had very little. We had sold most of our earthly goods. And when, when our church got there to help us move, the pastor said, okay, the only rule of this moving trip is everyone only gets to take one box. Best moving experience ever. Right? So, so many hands make light work, and people show up. Isn't it amazing that after an hour or two of serving, God actually does something refreshing in your own heart? It's because of this. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Now, let me give you a very quick side thought, and I won't run down this rabbit trail, I promise you. But I think one of the problems we have as a society is that we've got our order of operations mixed up. You know what order of operations is? Right, like math, what comes first? Some of you are like, I forgot that a long time ago. Do you notice the order here? Jesus says, if you know these things, 
Happy are you if you what? Do them. So happiness is actually the end. If you know and do, you'll be what? Happy. Listen, if you drive past the police officer at the speed limit, how do you feel? Fine. If you drive Bangator Highway, I was there the other day, it was a 55, I was doing 70, and uh, a guy on a motorcycle passed me doing 80. If that guy passes a policeman, how does he feel? A lot different. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Our emotions are never intended to be the driver of our lives. They're actually the end of the game. So when we know what God wants us to do, regardless of how we're feeling, and we follow him, what does he give us at the end? Joy. So we should stop chasing happiness as the thing. We should do what God wants, and he'll give us the thing. Okay, rabbit trail. So I wonder where you are today. Maybe you're in a place of authority or influence, a boss, a parent, a teacher. Listen to what Jesus has to say and willingly serve. Second thing here, and we'll do this one quickly. Followers of Jesus gladly serve him, but secondly, these verses tell us that betrayers of Jesus sadly sell him. Got that? Followers of Jesus, if you're a little kid, you can draw a smiley face here. Followers of Jesus gladly serve him. Betrayers of Jesus sadly, draw a frowny face if you want, if you're a kid, sadly sell him. And I almost feel like sadly isn't a strong enough word for maybe the world's most notorious traitor. I mean, kids have all kinds of names these days, but I have yet to meet a Judas. If you meet one, then you will have an indicator of how far our society is from any sort of biblical structure. It's like Jezebel. I haven't met a Jezebel either yet. It's quite a contrast, isn't it, between Jesus and Judas? Because here's the reality. Many will learn to serve as Jesus does, but some will sell him. A small minority will be more concerned about what they can get from Jesus than what they can give. For most followers of Jesus, life becomes about serving God and caring for other people's needs. But for a few people, religion is nothing more than self-centered manipulation. Have you experienced this? Three quick principles here in what we learned about Judas. Verse 18, Jesus says, I'm not speaking of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Let me give you three quick principles. First principle of betrayers. Not everyone who seems close to Jesus is following Jesus. By the way, what's the ratio among the disciples? It's 11 out of 12. We're sitting in a room here today. It's probably 150 people in here. I don't have an exact count. We'll say 180, then we feel great. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Offerings and bodies, man. It's craziness. 11 out of 12. Isn't it likely, if not certain, that in a room this big, there are some people here who don't really have a relationship with Jesus or care to? 
but they actually see closeness to Jesus as a way to get what they want. Turn one page back to John 12 if you need to. Mary anoints the feet of Jesus, <clears throat> and Judas has a problem with it. Verse 4, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for $300, 300 denarii, day's wages, and given to the poor? Because he really cared? Verse 6, Judas said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used, to, used it to help himself. He used to help himself to what was put into it. Betrayers may seem close to Jesus, but they're not following Jesus. Jesus says, someone who has eaten bread with me, who has been very close. And by the way, Judas wasn't leaking oil this whole time. It wasn't like the disciples went, oh, that's the car that's about to break down. They're actually baffled later in this chapter by who in the world would actually betray Jesus. He's covered it up really well. And should we be surprised that this happens in our day too? Second principle here, God's plan is at work every day, or God's plan is at work even in betrayal. Do you see the end of verse 18? But the scripture will be fulfilled. He actually quotes here from Psalm 41, where David's talking about his right-hand man, a trusted advisor that had joined a rebellion against him. And Jesus says, and it's happening to me too. Listen, if it happened to David and if it happened to Jesus, guess where it will happen? It will happen to us. God's plan is at work, even in betrayal. But no matter how much we say it, it's still really hard, isn't it? How many of you have experienced a relationship where someone betrayed you? Where, where they kissed your cheek and stabbed you in the back? Anybody experienced that? Right? I, I'm interested that kind of the people that I see have, might have lived a little longer in life. Because if you haven't experienced it yet, you will. And you'll experience it here. Say, not here. Mm -hmm. Because just because people seem close to Jesus doesn't mean they are close to Jesus. Have you ever experienced someone using the church for their ends? I can think of two specific situations in my life. One where I was betrayed, and, and it, it sent me into a tailspin. I probably spent two or three, four months, and, and this is not me. Like, this is not natural. This is not how I usually am. That's how I want to say it. In an almost depressed, catatonic state. Just kind of like numb to the world because it, it hurt so bad I didn't even want to think through it. Betrayal hurts. And when people use and abuse a ministry, it's, it's almost unfathomable. It rocks our world. But Jesus says, it, it's going to happen to me. And look what he says next, because this is stunning. Look what he says. Verse 19, I am telling you this now, before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Do you know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying that instead of when people betray and walk away from God or they use and abuse a ministry opportunity, 
or, or us, instead of destroying our faith, it actually ought to deepen our faith. Isn't that different than what we would naturally think? But Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this is going to happen. Now, how do the disciples respond when it does? They freak out, just like we do. But Jesus is laying the groundwork. So that's the third one. Not everyone who seems close to Jesus is following Jesus. God's plan is at work, even betrayal. And people betraying Jesus should not shake our faith in him. We should stay alert. Don't be paranoid, okay? Don't be like, he said one out of 12. 150, that means 10 of you, 10. Okay, three from this section, six from this, right? But be aware, be alert, be sober, be vigilant. Keep serving and trust Jesus. Betrayers may try, but they do not threaten the work of Jesus. That's what verse 20 is telling us. Stay on track. If you've received Jesus, he's going to work in you. That's actually an anchoring verse, even though it seems a little bit out of place. So how do we approach life? How does our heart beat day in and day out? If we're approaching life as a servant like Jesus, it means two big things. One, our every, every day God's agenda is more important than my agenda. How many of you are schedule people? Anybody time block? Right? Anybody got their list? I'm a yellow pad guy, like a half-size yellow pad. I got my list. I have trouble waking up every morning saying, God, I'm here to serve. Whatever you want for today is more important than what I want for today. I have to like bow that to him every day. And so do you. Secondly, it means every day other people's needs are more important than my needs. You know whose feet should have gotten washed in John 13? Jesus. You know who really needed the massage? Who really need the rest? Who really need to be able to put his feet up? Jesus did. But he served. And he gives us an example to follow. There's a little college that used to exist up in northern Wisconsin. It was so far north. Okay, does anybody know Wisconsin? Anybody, any Midwesterners? Okay, my wife is Michigan. We were in Indiana for three years. And we used to take our kids to summer camp to like the boondocks. So you had to drive all the way through Chicago and Milwaukee to get to Green Bay, right? Green Bay is the end of the world, correct, essentially? No, the camp was 90 minutes north of Green Bay. The, the closest Walmart was in the UP, okay? The Upper Peninsula of Michigan. But this college did what I would call graduation with a twist. Here's what I mean. Every year at graduation, they would give all their graduating students a what? Okay, we'll try again. Every, that's a good idea. Uh, every year at graduation, you would earn a diploma. So they would pass out diplomas. But they'd actually pass something else out to graduating seniors. They did this every year. They would give them a towel. And on the towel, it said, in the words of Jesus, be great, serve. You know, in a sense, every time someone really gets committed to Church of the Valley, you could give them a towel. Welcome. Wouldn't it be cool if every time a wedding, you know, husband and wife walked out of their wedding, you were like, here's a towel. Because isn't that at the heart of marriage? Serving. I don't know what other places you could use that idea. But, but do you know that even as a church family, you're actually living in the middle of a pretty cool opportunity? 
in this stage of transition and change, there's all kinds of opportunities to serve that open up, right? Your, your, your lay pastors, your um, guys who are still working a full-time job, they're stepping up into a new responsibility of serving, aren't they? And it's a lot more than they bargained for. It's a lot more than they signed up for. True, Wes? Yeah, where's Josh? He's somewhere. Hey, he's still awake. Awesome, right? <laughs> they're, they're taking on some new stuff. Your deacons are serving in places, but do you know that 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 mindset, that heart, that essence, if you want to call it that, is not just for people in roles. It's actually for all of us. I know, Mom, you wake up tomorrow and there's diapers to change and food to make, and you're like, here we go again. I'm, a- I'm actually in a spot in ministry right now where there's something that, an area that I serve that I'm kind of done with. I've been doing it for 20 years, and I thought I was going to do it for 10 And to be honest, I don't really want to grab my towel. But I need to. It's the way of Jesus. It's the heart of Jesus. It's the life of Jesus. And it should be ours, too. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Lord, this is not a, a section of the Bible just for any one of us. It's for all of us. Children serving in their homes, emptying dishwashers and taking out trash and cleaning rooms. Moms and dads emptying trash and doing dishwashers and cleaning rooms. Pastors and deacons and church family members and employees and employers. This is for all of us, Lord. And, and man, there's just a self, selfishness inside of us and there's a society around us cheering for us to put ourselves first. So would you please give us grace and help to follow Jesus and God guard us from betrayal and give us the strength to get through it when it happens, we pray, the faith. In Jesus' name, amen.